Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. So, Mara, here we are at the end of Days of Our Lives is run on NBC, two months shy of its 57th anniversary before the shows move on Monday to the streaming service Peacock. So I had the opportunity to talk to five of the show's stars last week, Deidre Hall, Drake Hogeston, James Reynolds, Eric Martsoff, and Camila Banis, about how they felt about it. And, you know, the mood at the set seems very positive. Drake admitted that he's probably like some of the audience. You know, he doesn't have a smart TV. He doesn't know how to stream, but he is going to learn. Mm-hmm. And they all stress that it will be the same show that everyone loves. Nothing is changing other than where people can watch it. Uh, you know, Peacock is offering a huge discount right now, $1.99 a month or $19.99 for the whole year. So hopefully that will incentivize people to sign up because the show has a lot of great story coming up that people are not going to want to miss, including Stefan and Gabby seeing each other for the first time and Orpheus's plot for Kayla, Marlena, and Kate becoming clearer. You know, I've seen uh, tweets from Days fans who live in other parts of the world who have to pay a lot more per month to access the show. 20 bucks for the year is a really good price, especially in comparison to a lot of other streaming services. And I think it was a really smart idea, obviously, to time that discount to the Days move. So... I'm right there with you. I hope that the show's loyal fans will make this move with them. I certainly will. Also on the move in the month of September is B&B's Sean Kanan. B&B and YNR announced this week that his character, Deacon, will be crossing over to YNR. I absolutely love this idea. You know, Deacon was part of the YNR canvas before and has quite the messy history with Nikki. And this year it was revealed that he had a big hand in faking Diane's death and framing Nikki for it. So a reckoning between Deacon and Nikki has seemed like an inevitability. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Sean and Nikki's portrayer, Melody Thomas-Scott, together again. Oh, me too. You know, first of all, I love a crossover and I think it's great how much YNR and B&B have been doing it over the past year or so. You know, it's really effective and brings a bigger sense of community to those two shows. Um, you know, plus it's like just fun. And could we just say that between this and appearing in the Karate Kid reboot Cobra Kai, Sean Kanan is definitely having a moment. Uh, now, speaking of YNR, we're going to see Nick and Sally sleep together at the office, no less. Uh, I'm reserving judgment here. You know, I'm a big Fick fan and was hoping for a Nick Phyllis reunion, but neither Nick nor Sally has really had anything super juicy to do of late. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that all plays out. And over at B&B, a disguised Sheila will literally get her hands on her grandson, Hayes. And I know you spoke to Lexi Ainsworth about her return as General Hospital's Christina. 
Yes, I did. Uh, she was in Portugal when we connected, if I'm remembering correctly. I mean, I, I want to come back as Lexi Ainsworth in my next life and do <laughs> all of the traveling that she does. Uh, and she had actually been traveling for many months, having bought a one-way ticket to Europe in the wake of her real-life breakup, which is part of the reason that we hadn't seen Christina for most of the year. But she was coming back to L.A. anyway for her sister's wedding when the show reached out. So the timing was perfect for her to make a comeback. And this time, it's looking like it's not just going to be for an episode here and an episode there. And she's looking forward to seeing what the show has planned for Christina, which I am as well. You know, I think Lexi is so gifted and just so perfectly, perfectly cast as the daughter of Sunny and Alexis. And I think she's just bursting with potential on the storyline front. We actually talked about how a lot of fans on social media think it would be interesting if Christina were to get involved in the mob and follow in her father's footsteps. Lexi is totally down for that. And I am as well. But whatever it is that she's doing, I'm just glad that Christina is back where she belongs, which is on our screens. I am too. I mean, the Davis women have such an incredibly engaging dynamic and having them all on screen is definitely a treat for viewers, not only for me. Um, and a few quick casting notes. Thanks to a spoilery video from Days of Our Lives is Stephen Nichols on Instagram. We can report that Lucas Adams will be back in Salem as Trip. And on GH, we're going to see Chad Duell reclaim the role of Michael from temporary recast Robert Adamson. Now, speaking of poor Charles in Salem, our guest today has the distinction of being one of only two stars to currently be appearing on two soaps at once in two different roles. It's Wally Kurth, who plays General Hospital's Ned and Days of Our Lives as Justin. So let's check in with him and see what he's up to. So, Wally, we have a lot to discuss with you today, and we're going to start with Days of Our Lives as moved to Peacock. So what was your reaction when you first heard the news that the show was changing homes? Yeah, I was surprised. I didn't know. I didn't know anything about that. And, um, and I quickly inquired. I can't remember who I called. I was talking to somebody. Maybe I might have been at work at days. And I think I can say this. Um, one of the producers was, was, was shocked, too, that she had not heard that. They knew eventually this was something that, you know, was going to happen, but not like two months. Um, I think everybody sort of was like, oh, wow. OK, so it took a little bit of adjusting. But now I have to say I am um, I'm not surprised. And I actually think I mean, I am I'm a very optimistic person, very positive person. <laughs> but I think that it takes a lot of belief from Peacock to um, to support this move and uh, and decide, you know what, we're going to take it off um, the network and we're going to bring our some new subscribers to Peacock, which I know they need. So, you know what? That means that they value us and that means they're they're investing in us and they've invested a lot of money in this new venture, this new streaming venture, which is the future. You know, all the young cats on our show, they are like, so what? I, I don't even have cable. <laughs> you know, they, they watch the show on their laptops or, you know, or they're on their television, but they're streaming it already. So definitely the future is streaming and and eventually these old, you know, these networks. Um, I don't know, eventually, maybe 10, 15 years, you know, I'm sure all the sports will eventually move over there. And eventually it's just going to be all streaming. Uh, I was comparing it to Stephanie to, uh, you know, the transition from radio to television, which must have been equally shocking for people to make that switch. You know, if you were used to listening to Guiding Light on the radio and then all of a sudden you needed a TV. Yeah, I think that's a really good analogy. I, I agree. Um, you know, obviously, grandma and grandpa 
Um, they might not know how to stream, but you know what? They have grandchildren and may teach them. And if not, well, we're going to lose some viewers, you know, but we're going to gain some viewers too. You know, I think, um, I hope, you know, being a daily, I think it's really cool. And I think these shows, I mean, both general hospital, I don't really watch the CBS shows, but I think general hospital and NBC are pretty savvy about really skewering to the younger audience and really going for, you know, using these younger actors and they're, I think they're casting some really talented younger actors as well. So, um, I think it's smart. I think, I think there's a, the future's bright for these, these soaps. I mean, I don't think we're going to lose any more. You know, change is hard for a lot of people and soap fans value consistency. And I think for many reasons, this feels like a scary change. So what would you say to those viewers to reassure them that this could indeed be a very good thing for the future of Days of Our Lives? Well, I think that <clears throat> just from like stepping back, I, I think that the producers definitely have a sweet spot and know how to produce the show where it's not, um, you know, not worth producing for a streamer now and on the network on general hospital. So obviously we have still have an audience that is, uh, you know, advertisers are care about and it's valuable. So um, I think both shows now are really running pretty, pretty efficiently. And, um, and I think the audience for the most part, I, I don't know what the numbers are. Like, I, I don't know about new viewers, but um, I just feel like the shows have a lot of uh, energy and a lot of, um, in my opinion, when I watch, I feel like, you know, they're really, the writers and the producers are really, you know, trying to just, you know, step up and, um, and bring the shows into the, you know, the current climate and just what, you know, what kids are watching. And, and again, I think the younger actors are just terrific on both shows. So I think as long as the acting, you know, stays, you know, up there and the writing stays strong, I think soaps will continue for a while. Well, speaking of change, uh, a big change in Justin's life occurred recently when his son, Alexander, arrived in Salem. You had worked with Robert Scott Wilson before when he was playing Ben. Justin, in fact, was his lawyer. And we just had Rob on the podcast and he talked about how utterly thrilled he was to have the chance to create this new on-screen dynamic with you as his father. So tell us about your experience working with him in his new role. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. Well, it's great. It's great because, you know, this character has never been on the, the canvas before. So we've only heard about Alexander. And, you know, I'm at the age now where I'm, you know, my storylines usually revolve around my children. And, uh, and I'm thrilled to have someone like Robert, who's a fan favorite. So it's always nice to have a child that the audience already likes. Um, and, uh, and, you know, Robert has an energy, I think he's doing a really good job of sort of, you know, finding his way, uh, out of bed and into this new role and, and trying to take the audience with him, which I, I think is not easy. Um, but I'm, I'm applauding him for, for his efforts and I think he's being successful and, uh, we haven't had that many scenes, but the ones that we have have been a lot of fun. And, uh, I really enjoyed working with Robert. I, I really liked it when I was working with him in the prison scenes. And, uh, I mean, when he first came back, I remember patting him on the back and just saying, Hey, let me just tell you, I've been around a long time and not many, uh, serial murderers are redeemed in daytime television. So that is a credit to you, young man, to get them to rewrite a lot of stuff to get you back on this show. And, uh, I, I meant it then and I, and I still mean it that he's got a lot of talent and he's, uh, He's just great for the show. So it's wonderful that he play, now plays my, my son because then I'll have some, hopefully some juicy storylines in the future. 
by design, it seems, the way Alex was introduced to the canvas, you know, namely as a ladies' man who kept company with a string of different women, echoed the way that Justin was introduced back in 1987. So what do you think the Wally Kurth of 1987 would have thought if he could have seen into the future and known that 35 years later, what you were doing would be a blueprint for the arrival of one of Justin's children? I'm so glad you pointed that out. I don't know if the fans have pointed or know that. I'm not sure I've tweeted it or what, but it's so true. Uh, that did remind me of, uh, of Justin back in the day. And cause you know, it's fun because a lot of these fans will throw up some of these early scenes from the, uh, when I first came on the show. Um, yeah. I mean, isn't that funny? I mean, that whole first year was just so amazing. And I think it's great that, you know, they're, I think it's when they've done some, you know, um, historical mining, so you underwent uh, another shift in the on-screen sun department earlier this year when Zach Tinker assumed the role of Sonny. So tell us about working with Zach. Once again, these younger actors, and I have to just uh, hats off to them because they, <clears throat> when I was started all those years ago, we had a full day of rehearsal, get one show a day. And now we're doing, some of these kids are doing two or three episodes in just the morning. <laughs> You know, Carson, I mean, Carson's in the band and he tells me some about his, some of his days and he's working a lot. And I just look at him like, oh, I don't know how you do it. Seven up. I mean, it, it, I mean, I have the brain and I, plus I have to spend a lot more time to do, doing it now, but it, it's just, it's a, an unbelievable amount of work some of these younger actors are doing. And, um, and once again, Zach, you know, just stepped right in another pro who uh, comes knowing what they're doing. Um, and uh, we're lucky. We're lucky to have them. Once again, um, this is a not, this is not an easy medium to work in. Um, the actors are expected to bring a pretty much a nice finished product to a first take. And, um, you know, I mean, I think some of the younger actors, if they don't get it, you know, they'll maybe do it two or three times, but, you know, definitely the vets, we, they expect us to deliver quickly. And, um, and the younger actors pretty soon realize, okay, I need to come in and ready to go. We, this, this is how it rolls here. And, and we're lucky because we have act, we have teachers, not teachers, but we have script people running with us. And so we can, and we can talk about stuff and we can, so we're, most of the actors are pretty much prepared, um, you know, but, but still it's just, you know, it's, it's mind boggling just the amount of material that, that one does in soaps. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's always been the case where other actors are just sort of like amazed at what we can do. And, and, um, and it's true. I mean, once again, Zach just shows us that it's just, you know, once again, <laughs> So I don't know, I don't know what, it, but, but it's something that as a producer, you have to find these kids that can do it because you can't teach it. So I have to mention how utterly hilarious you were when Justin was called upon to officiate the doubly disastrous wedding of Gwen and Xander and Leo and Craig earlier this year, replete with the fake sneezing as a delay tactic. So what do you remember about preparing for those scenes and shooting them? Well, if you remember, I had to do a fake sneeze. So I practiced my fake sneeze for my wife and because, you know, I wanted it to be funny. So, but I didn't want it to be over the top. I wanted it to be subtle, which I know is an impossible thing to think about, like a subtle fake sneeze, but I wanted it to be, I wanted, I don't know. I just don't like, to, I, I'm so afraid to be hammy. I played the Artful Dodger in Oliver when I was 11 years old and um, it was very successful. It was met with, you know, a lot of 
um, positive feedback, but somebody, I can't remember when it was an adult who said, yes, Wally, he's such a ham. And the way he said it, I, it was, it, I took offense. Like I, even at that age, I felt like, you know, I'm a little more than just a ham. I'm a serious actor. I'm 11 years old. It's my first role, but I already had integrity. <laughs> so I've always sort of had this fear of not being a ham. So anyway, it was the sneeze. And so I tried it a couple of times and Deborah just sort of laughed and said, we'll keep working on it. Um, <clears throat> so um, when I did it, I do remember somebody, I think I, I think it might have been Janet, the producer said, Wally, I thought that was a real sneeze when you did it. So I was very proud of myself to make it look like I actually had a real sneeze. And when I saw it, I was happy about what I came up with. I thought the sneeze did work. And um, so, you know, those kind of comedy scenes, I love them because it is a challenge and you really have to walk a line. Now we have to walk a line anyway. The tone that we do these soaps, you're walking a line dramatically. I mean, tone is so much, so important. And, and sometimes you're asked to do farce, you know, to do this comedy stuff. And once again, you have to walk that line of tone. And so it was just, uh, remember the scene that I played when I was drunk with Matt, with Jack talking about Bonnie and I was playing drunk <clears throat> again. I didn't want to be hammy. I wanted it to be, you know, give a performance that was believable, but obviously I'm acting, but anyway, it was, uh, again, those, those, those kind of, you know, ch uh, comedy challenges are, I love them. I just love them. Look forward to them. Going back to this sun theme over on general hospital earlier this year, Ned adopted Leo, his stepson. So Leo is on the autism spectrum as is his portrayer rocket Easton Sweda. Uh, so tell us about working with him. Rocket, um, lovable guy, just a sweetheart and his mother who's there's a, a doll. And, um, you know, he reminds me a little bit of my son, Brogan. Um, he, with his, uh, the fact that he has, he has a lot of, he's kind of ADHD squared, you know, that's part of the spectrum. And I, I always describe Brogan as ADHD squared. It was just hard to keep him in one place. He was just constantly going. He was just moving, moving, moving. And he would elope. He would actually, I'd be on a walk with him or we'd be somewhere and I, and I at the store, I turn around and he's gone. So that was so relatable to um, Leo and Rocket. Rocket, sometimes I got to hold on to him because he's moving around the stage. And I go, hey, I just grab him by the shoulders like I did with Brogan. He goes, hold him right in front of me. We got to stand here. Don't move. He's like wiggling around. I'm like, nope, hands by your side. Move, don't move. So it's, uh, it's very comfortable um, for me to Rocket because it reminds me of uh, Brogan when he was at eight. So what did you think when you found out that GH was going to incorporate autism into your storyline? It's really nice. I mean, that the story, I know they were inspired to write the story because of my own uh, experience with Brogan. And, um, but I think they're doing a really good job. I mean, you know, not everything is the same because every kid is, every kid with autism is different, but I think they've really done their homework and I think so far so good. And um, in fact, they even came up to me and asked me about some stuff and, um, and they said, please, you know, at the Emmys, you know, the writers were said, please, you know, if something comes up where you think it's this or that, we really appreciate your input. So um, that was nice. And, uh, and I have, I, and when there are times that come up, I'll, I'll make a, a dialogue suggestion or something that I think is a little, maybe a little bit more accurate. You know what I always remember, Wally, is you telling me that you thought the most unrealistic thing was that when Leo wandered away at the hospital, that he told Olivia yeah. <laughs> immediately. <laughs> yeah. See, now I didn't know I could, I didn't know I could have any input at that time, but if I had, I would have said, first of all, 
Ned would never call Olivia right now. He would be looking everywhere first before he would call his wife and his mother and tell them, because it's happened to me. It happened to me more than once. Like I've lost him. And I'm like, but I'm not coming home without him. And I'm certainly not going to call her and let her worry about it. I have to worry about it. So, uh, and I found him, but I was not, I never thought once to call Deborah and get her <laughs> all worried. Anyway, yes, that would have been something that I would have, uh, yes, suggested a change. <clears throat> That's incredible. Well, one of the things that I really love about the idea of telling this story via Leo is that in soap operas, you do have the time to show a learning curve and an evolution. So what do you hope viewers will take away from watching Ned and Olivia figuring out how to be the best parents to their child who is on the spectrum? Well, one of the things that I, I, I was telling the writer about that when he asked me, I said, well, you know, the thing about being a parent to a child is, and, and one of the therapists taught me early on that it's two steps forward, one step back. It's not a, a straight line. And like typical kids, usually, like, you know, they'll just one step forward, just keep moving. And um, so there, there are hiccups. And so I, hopefully they play. I think they'll, I think they might, you know, look into that. So I know that's happening and there's no more problems. And I don't think that's how they're playing it, but it is a journey. That's the word that all of my parents, all the parents that I discuss and I tell people, it is a journey. Having a child with special needs has been transformative and, and I'm still learning things. And Brogan is still growing. Brogan is still learning things that I didn't know that he would be able to learn. So every day, it's just like a, another class. And every year, it's another year. And so um, hopefully that, that will be the, the story, that, uh, how it continues, that it's not just a magic pill. He's been diagnosed. Here's some things to play with. Okay, he's a typical kid. You know, these kids often don't, well, they're never probably going to ever be typical. They're always going to see the world in a quirky way and they're always going to have their, their issues and their sensory issues and their neurological issues and their behavioral issues. And so all this stuff is something that they're going to have to, um, you know, deal with in their life. And when you think about it, typical people have same issues that they have to deal with, whether it's a traumatic past um, or depression or a learning disability you know, so we all, even typical people have this journey that they're on. And um, I think what well, hopefully what will the people will learn from it is that, um, you know, just like a typical parents, they, you have to stay engaged with your child and just be able to allow the child to also teach you how to be the parent that they need. Because you're never, you got to go into their world. You can't drag them into typical world because they're not going to get it. So you need to go into their world and make it work for them and bring them out, but not force them out. You know, you're not, they're just not going to do that. So that's, you know, hopefully <clears throat> more of that story. And again, I think that's what we did. I think what we, what they, what they wrote was that I was willing to go into Leo's world. Like, Hey, we, he, this is where he is. This is who he is. We need to accept that. And Olivia was like, wait a minute. No, he needs to come to our, you know, we need to, he's just, you know, quirky personality. He's going to grow out of it. Da, 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 da. Once, once again, she just having me to accept that. No, no I need to budge. We need to pull him into our world. We need to go into, we need to, you know, step up and be the parents that he needs rather than the child that we need.
You know, we had some fun drama on the ELQ front recently when Ned decided to throw his support to Valentin, voting against Drew and Michael and effectively killing the ELQ Aurora merger. You have such great chemistry with James Patrick Stewart, who plays Valentin. Tell us about working with him. Well, JP is one of my good friends. Uh, we just went out to dinner the other night and I, uh, I've always been such a fan of his and I think he's so great for the show. And, um, yeah, I just love working with him. I mean, I just, he's one of those actors that I, uh, I really, uh, I, don't, I just enjoy working with. Um, he just makes me smile <laughs> and I trust him and, uh, and I don't see him doing, I don't see him doing homework. I see him just, you know, one of those actors that's in the moment, but I also feel like he's, he's a character, you know, he's not, he's very different from Valentin. So, um, I admire that. Um, I, I feel like that's, uh, I, uh, I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, just, um, you know, again, I just think he's, he's just so great for the show. Um, and he's a good friend and, um, yeah, I wish I had my, and I, I'm looking forward to having more scenes with him. We don't, I haven't really been working over there that much. I guess I shouldn't, shouldn't say that, but, <laughs> but I haven't really been working with, with uh, Valentine all that much, but hopefully soon we'll be back in the boardroom doing all sorts of fun stuff. My fingers are crossed. Um, now Ned took a lot of heat from Olivia for not telling her in advance how he was going to vote. I felt like that was kind of unfair. I was team Ned on that one. <laughs> what do you think? Did, did Ned owe a heads up to Olivia? Well, that's a very good question. That's a very good question. Um, you know, uh, I would say, I would say that he probably did owe her. Um, but I also feel as though that, that's speaking from Wally. Wally, I think Wally would say, yeah, you, you should have told her. But Ned, <laughs> if you want Ned's perspective, um, yeah. No, Ned, you know, he's still his grandfather's grandson. And I think there's certain things about ELQ that he feels, you know, ownership of and his vote and, you know, how he's going to use his vote. That's, you know, I, I think that that's something that I feel like he, I know he, he, he apologized because he said he didn't know how she would react. And I think that's true. I think he probably didn't realize that she would react that way. But I think, you know, Ned, you know, he, not, not, he's, not, he's not a chauvinist, but he's a proud guy who's like ex-CEO. And he, I don't think he feels like he has to run by everything, run, run everything by Olivia. That's my feeling. Now, we've seen some new parts of the Quartermain house recently. You know, the breakfast nook, the stables. Do you have a favorite Quartermain set to work on? And what makes one set more fun than another one? Another good question, Stephanie. Okay. Um, it has been remarkable. It seems like every time I come into the show, I've got a new set. Uh, not for me. A new set. <clears throat> um, breakfast nook. I've always thought, why in the world do these shows not have any kitchens? I've always and think about how much time most conversations, most things happen in a kitchen. So I love the breakfast nook. Um, I love the coffee stuff. I love, you know, um, that seems to be fun. I grew up around horses, so uh, I loved having that horse around there. Um, that was really fun. Uh, when I was uh, in sixth grade, um, I spent a summer out at my aunt's um, working at her, she has an, she had an equestrian school and, um, <laughs> 
we had, my, well, it's kind of a long story, but my, my mother, we had, had a car accident and my mother was in the hospital and I had broken my arm. Um, we had, we had rolled the, the car had rolled over and I was in my seatbelt. My brother had just fastened my seatbelt and cause he had just taken his school, his driver's lessons. And he fastened my seatbelt. He fastened my cousin's seatbelt up front. There was another cousin in the back. Anyway, my mom rolled this big old SUV type. I was down by my seatbelt and my mom unhooked my seatbelt and I fell to the roof. Anyway, that's the long story. I survived. We all survived. It was all good. But while my mother was in the hospital recuperating, I, I was sent out to my aunt's writing school and it was my job to pick up poop that was, had been, you know, the, the horses would go around in a circle and they would in the sandy, you know, think on a lead, on a, you know, lead lines. And every once in a while the horse would poop and I would grab my big old rubber glove, run out there with my, my bucket, pick up poop. <laughs> and then I would also have to like brush down all the horses and have to clean all their stalls. So I was like, I was like in sixth grade and I, I kind of, well, to be honest, I kind of got over horses because it was like, it was kind of brutal work, you know, cleaning up stalls and picking up poop and throwing down lye and all that stuff. I guess I should stop talking about what I'm doing, but anyway, that's what, that's what that summer was. So when I go into the stables, I kid you not, I do have a feeling of that time in my life when I was 11 years old and I was working for my aunt's riding school. And, uh, but anyway, Yes, that was fun. And then, of course, the big, huge living room. That's, I mean, that's always amazing. The big foyer, I love that. I tell you, I, um, I used to love the old Quartermain sets, but these new ones are fantastic. And hopefully that means that the Quartermain is going to be around for a long time. And so I'll only think of that as a, a positive. <laughs> yes, I'm with you. Now, um, Ned's daughter, Brooke Lynn, played by the uh, stunningly fantastic Amanda Sutton, is newly managing Chase's music career and Eddie Main's leather pants, or a new pair of pants playing the role of Eddie Main's leather pants, I'm not sure which, just made an on-screen appearance when Chase was the subject of a little fashion montage. Now, Wally, these fashion montages, they are such a tried and true thing that happens in movies and TV uh, but what are they actually like to film, especially if you're not the person changing clothes, you're the person sitting there giving a thumbs up or a thumbs down to the different looks? You know what? That's a very good question. And I have to say it was not that painful. Usually it <laughs> takes forever, but they had us sitting down, which was great. Uh, and because I think we, we, because Josh had to go out and change, I think we were doing other scenes in between. So we were using the time to, we were just sitting there waiting. Um, so it moved pretty quickly. And it's funny that you say about the, about the pants. Cause I wanted to add the line, like, of course you'll be getting your own pants, but I, it was just kind of like, it would have required a response from him. And I don't know. It's like, do I, do I put this line in? I, I better not because I mean, come on, I'm going to give up my old leather pants. It's terrible. They're like 30 years old. First of all, anyway, <laughs> Um, I thought that was kind of a fun se sequence, wasn't it? Yes, but I have to say, I think that, you know, the original Eddie Main pants with, with that, you know, Eddie Main sweat would probably sell really well on eBay. So don't knock it. <laughs> uh, you've gotten to perform on screen with Josh Swickard, who plays Chase. Uh, he told Digest how much he absolutely loves working with you and being around you. So what are your feelings about him as a co-star? Love Josh. I mean, again, one of these great young actors who brings it and uh, 
And I was so, uh, I really liked his California Christmas that he did with his wife. Very sweet. And uh, yeah, again, just, you know, just a wonderful young guy who, you know, came to town just like me with dreams, stars in his eyes, you know, and uh, I hope he's, I told him, I said, you know, they, they ran this by me that this, they were coming up with a storyline. I go, you know what? Just have fun with it. I said, you know, I had, I had a great time and it's, I said, just so you know, it's kind of a general hospital thing. I mean, you know, it started with Jack Wagner and John Stamos and, you know, they did okay. And I'm not sure I did okay, but I, 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 I played that storyline and I'm still on the show. So I survived. So I said, chances are, it's not going to kill your career or kill your character. Um, you know, just make sure you have fun. And, um, and I said, you're a good singer. So, you know, you won't suck. <laughs> uh, well, so I said, just, just, you know, hang in there, have fun. You know, Speaking of the 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 Eddie Main era, um, your former General Hospital leading lady Rena Sofer, who played Lois recently, ended her run on B and B as Quinn. And when we had her on the podcast recently, she treated us to a little Lois accent, which made my heart hit her patter. And she talked about you know how much affection she still has for the character, and that she would be open to reprising the role if like all the stars aligned. You know, is that a storyline possibility that? you could see and would welcome. Yeah, sure. I could, I could totally, I would totally welcome that. Yeah. I think it'd be great. Her character was, was wonderful. And, you know, she's still, I mean, she's, you know, Brooklyn is there and, um, and she did, she had a, um, I mean, I haven't, you know, I watched Quinn a little bit, but you know, Lois, the other thing about soap opera characters is that, like you said, you have this, you get to, you have so much time to develop them. And I know Claire Labine, who was doing the writing, you know, had a certain, you know, point of view that might was really hard to get because she had so much, you know, she just she just really heard, you know, the Brooklyn accent and she really knew Lois Cirillo and a, a writer has to have that. Um, but it was just a great marriage of writer and actress and producer too, Francesca and she- and uh, and Shelley and Wendy, all the producers. And um, I mean, she won an Emmy, you know, and, um, you know, she was just it brought out, I think, a color of Rena that was very charming. And obviously I fell in love with it. And um, so, you know, I'm sure that I understand why she would you know, she has a fondness for that character. And yeah, why not? I mean, you know, we get along. So um, I'm married. You know, the characters of Ned is married. So I don't think it would be a love story. So. Um, I, I don't know about that. That might be a little, that might be a little weird, but you know, having her on the show, fantastic. I think it'd be great. You know, why not? Um, she's a great actress. So Ned is only occasionally crooning these days, but off camera, you have been giving your own vocal cords a workout. You've teamed up with several of your day's castmates to form a band and you're going on tour. So tell us about how your group, the day players was formed. Uh, well, this is how we were formed. Eric Martzoff has been hammering me for years about maybe once a year, you know, so not a lot, but we, I've been on the show for a long time. So it seems like years. And, um, because he's a singer, he knows that I sing. Cause he's very jealous of me when he ever sees the nurse's ball, you know, he, he's watched it before. He's just very jealous. Cause you know, he spent three years at Dollywood and he's a Broadway guy and, you know, musicals are his thing. And so he's always saying, you know, we got to do, it, we got to do it. And I'm always like, no, 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 no. It's just too much work. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. But, you know, after during the pandemic and the quarantine, 
um, I started playing a lot more music um, and just learning old, you know, songs and classic songs and cover songs. And, and um, I did a personal appearance where I sang, you know, down in Nashville and it just made me realize just how much I really enjoyed singing live in front of a live audience with, you know, with people and, um, and sharing my music. And I thought, you know, uh, Scott Reeves was also there. And so I started talking to him about, you know, Port Charles, Port Chuck. And the whole idea was that, um, Mark, Eric Martzoff wanted me to start a day's version of Port Chuck. And so that kind of got me going like, okay, let, you know what, maybe, maybe now's the time I, I I'm ready to kind of get out of the house get away, um, get in front of a live audience again and sing these songs that, that I've been singing on my own, which, uh, a couple of songs actually we are doing as, as a day players, but then I had to learn all these other songs. I mean, we're doing like 22 songs and they're all covers, all cover songs. So they're all like classic, you know, journey Fleetwood Mac, you know, George Michael, Harry Styles, Beatles, Bruce Springsteen, you know, Marshall Tucker, John Denver goes down, you know, down the list. Garth Brooks. So we're doing all these, you know, songs and I'm playing the guitar on almost all of them. So it's been really fun from that standpoint to also having to learn all these songs that I've always heard, but never really, you know, learned them. And we're singing a bunch of songs together. Everyone's singing a lot of solos and it's, I think we sound really good. Our harmonies are solid. Um, you know, we got to, we can have a few more days to get tweak all the, you know, get all the endings just right. But uh, we really enjoy working with each other. Um, I think the, um, the audience is really going to enjoy it. I think the music's going to be great. And um, like we, have, we have one other guitar player, and he also plays sort of the drums, a ca cajones. Eric will also be playing the cajones. Uh, Brandon plays a harmonica on the guitar. And again, it's going to be like three, four-part harmony. And um, it's, it's really fun. They're really fun songs, and we're kicking it. And so it's two acoustic guitars, two cajones, and, uh, and a lot of voices. So do the four of you have overlapping taste in music? You know, how did you approach figuring out what kind of group you were going to be? Oh, no, no, no. We all have <clears throat> very similar. A few songs <clears throat> would be recommended and we would like, we could sing them down and it, and it wasn't exciting everybody. It was very democratic. If it, did, it wasn't exciting everybody, you know, especially if it was a group number. Um, if it was a solo, we respected if they wanted to sing the solo, that's, I mean, we, we, you know, unless it was not, it didn't work, but for the most part, I like the fact that it's so different. I mean, when I, and I sort of put together, put together the set in a way that's like, you don't see, you don't know what's coming. You know, we got Stevie wonder and Merle Haggard right next to each other, you know, and then Harry Styles, you know, and then Neil Diamond. So what, what, you know? We start with Bruce Springsteen, go into the Beatles. You know what I mean? So it's it, everyone's you're jumping around. We got some we got some temptations, you know, um, romantics, Grand Funk Railroad. Anyway, so it's a lot of really great songs. And um, and I like the fact that it's so wide ranging in styles and in songwriters. And so um we will allow each of us to have it sort of explain why this song meets means something to them. So we, we, you'll personalize, everyone will sort of personalize their own solo. So it gives you some sort of perspective. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I know you had Steph at the Beatles and Bruce Springsteen and you had me at Neil Diamond. So tell us where you'll be and how people can get tickets. Well, okay. 
we have a website. So it's really simple. www.thedayplayersband.com. Thedayplayersband.com. And we start on Thursday, September 16th in New Brunswick, New Jersey at the Stress Factory. And then we go to the Governor's in Levittown, New York on Friday, the 17th. Then we're in Bridgeport, Connecticut on the 18th uh, in the afternoon. That's a matinee show at the Stress Factory. And then we drive. We're going to be driving to all these places. We rented a Suburban. We're going to be doing like the old tour. We're going to drive up to Massachusetts for our Sunday matinee, our final show on our big four-day tour of the East Coast. In the comedy clubs, we're going to be starting. We're going to be at the Cabot Theater in Beverly, Massachusetts. And there are still seats available and they're small little venues and we're bringing our own PA system. I had to, I had to go out and buy a mixer. So we're going to be, we were going to be plugging in. I'm, gonna, I'm learning how to be a, an engineer as well as a guitar player. I'm like, I, I, it's been really fun for me. It's been a really educational experience. So does it, presumably might there be more cities in the future? Yes, I think there will be. I think there will be. I, I, we, we, we've had so much fun and I think it's, it's, we're going to be good. And I think we'll be doing it. Yeah. Next year. We'll definitely be doing more all over the country. We'll be going all over the place and we'll be available for privates for private uh, parties. That would be ideal. Right. Fly in and fly out. All right. I have to come up with an occasion to need to book people. <laughs> um, and we do weddings. We do weddings. We do bar mitzvahs. We are available. <laughs> do you do brisses? <laughs> So uh, wait, who came up with the name, which I absolutely love, the day players? I have to give Brandon. We were all coming up with names and Brandon came up with it. It's pretty perfect. Yes, it is pretty perfect. Well, Wally, as we touched on just a little bit earlier, you did mark the 35th anniversary of your day's debut earlier this year. And last year you hit the, the 30 year mark on General Hospital. You are in a category all your own when it comes to actors working in this genre because you know you continue to play both of these long-running legacy characters. What does it mean to you to have reached these milestones and to continue to be such a fan favorite on both shows? It it means I'm I mean I'm very humbled. I honestly am. Um, I know it's not. A given, and I um, I'm just very grateful, and because um, I love both shows, I love both characters, and I love my job, and I try really really hard to make it look easy, and I think maybe that comes across, and I also bring a lot of myself to uh, the work, so I think you know maybe people pick up on that as well. I've had a very, over the years, I've developed great friendships with certain, with a lot of fans that have come to a lot of the events, a lot of the concerts that I used to go to, and they become dear friends. Uh, they're friends of mine that uh, have impacted my life. So, and a lot of them have followed me from Days of Our Lives over to General Hospital. And um, so I never would have dreamed, you asked me like, what would, you know, Wally back in 87 when he came on and was just sort of, you know, Justin was sleeping around with this person, that person. I was just thinking like, oh my God, what a great job. I've been on three episodes and I've been making out with three different women. <laughs> wow, is this going to continue? 
Is this all I have to do? <laughs> wow. This is great. Soap operas. <laughs> Too many lines, but I don't mind the kissing part. But here I am 35 years later, and I am as happy now as I was back then. And I was thrilled back then. So I just feel so grateful. And so like, like a lucky person, it's just a lucky man. And um, yeah, it's just, I don't, I tell people all the time when I'm on two shows, I said, you know, the fact that I said, the thing about being on two shows is that I never find myself complaining. When I was on one show, I remember just being a little bit upset if another actor got a bigger role or a bigger story and I'm not, you know, working as much and blah, 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 blah. And you sort of put yourself up against other people on the show. But when you're on two different shows, <laughs> you can't compare yourself to anybody else. You're just like, eh, I got another show. So it's not like I'm not maybe working so much over here, but I'm working over the other show. So I just don't complain. And that is so nice to be an actor who doesn't complain because as someone who goes to both shows, I see actors complaining all the time and I get it, but it's not me. I don't complain. I come in, I thank the producers. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> thank you for putting up with me. Thank you for working around my schedule. You guys are the greatest. Well, I just feel like the luckiest lady in the world too, because it is such a joy to have gotten to spend this hour with you. I thank you so much. I just always love chatting with you as you know. And I adore talking to you too and seeing you and hopefully we'll see each other in person soon. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Wally Kurth for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up an issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. Podcast.